For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. There's a, an old Egyptian satirist whose name I probably can't pronounce, who said something to the effect of, you know, the importance of satire is to remind us that our leaders are not gods. Mm -hmm. You know, it kind of uh, has the effect of, of um, kind of taking them down a peg or two and, and reminding everyone that, the, hey, these people are just human. They're prone to corruption and silliness and mistakes, just like anybody else. And, and you shouldn't place uh, too much faith or trust in them. You should keep an eye on them. You should be skeptical of the things that they say. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. Uh, we have a very special guest today, Mr. Joel Berry. Uh, you've got you've done a lot of weird shit in your life, um, <laughs> but currently are the editor in chief of the Babylon Bee. So life is right. uh, definitely better than it was when you were in the Marine Corps, and certainly better than when you were in corporate sales. I would imagine. <laughs> That's right. Although those those experiences did give me plenty of material for what I do now. Sure, sure. I bet. <laughs> um, so let's uh, for for a lot of our audience who may not know uh, much about you personally, uh, walk us through. So you were in the Marine Corps back in the day, and uh, wh which uh, unit were you in? Yeah, so um, I was uh, I was in First uh, Battalion, Twenty Fourth Marines uh, Weapons Company. I was an uh, infantry mortarman. Um, and, uh, let's see, I got in at, in 2005, um, and was active till 2012, uh, went to Fallujah in 2006, 2007, um, and got out, uh, dropped to reserve, uh, status in, in 2012, got out in, in 2014. So, um, yeah, man. Uh, and then uh, after that, I, uh, I got into a, a career in aviation, um, aviation, air freight, logistics, things like that. And, uh, and then I worked in sales for like 10 years and, and just a, a ho-hum corporate job. Absolutely miserable. <laughs> and then uh, I, I, I found the B and uh, like many people started as a huge fan and, and uh, started writing for them on the side and, and that turned into a full-time gig. I feel very blessed. And... Um... It's been a, a pretty interesting journey over the past couple of years for the Babylon Bee, I think. Um, yeah. Like sat satire plays such an important role in uh, in Western politics. I don't know that Eastern or, or Middle Eastern politics really have much of an appetite for that sort of thing, but certainly in Western politics. And it extends as far back as, you know, the court jester extends back as far back as, as courts extend. But even from the... Uh, uh, the written word we're, we're talking about like the 15th century where, you know, Shakespeare was basically a political dissident that was making fun of, you know, corrupt politicians and things like that and incestual relationships within uh, uh, royal families. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it was met with, you know, it's, it's interesting because back then when there was a lack of concentrated digital power, I guess, or a concentrated power over the press and in, in, in the way there is now, if you had enough people on your side, 
it was hard for the aristocracy to really come down on somebody. Um, mm. But now it seems like, you know, we, we keep trading, con- we, can, we keep trading our, uh, our liberty for convenience, not even security, just convenience. And yeah. now people can just flip the switch and like you guys are banned on Twitter, your, your satire account, funny, oddly enough, the one that you don't ever say anything <laughs> real on is the one that's banned, but your actual account is still active. Yeah, it's wild. I, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook too. Facebook hasn't taken the kind of the blatant approach that Twitter has. They, they've chosen instead to, they kind of launder their censorship through mm. fact checkers. So right. the fact checking program will, will, will run fact check us on fact checks on us constantly, which then feeds back into their algorithm and our, uh, our new news ecosystem quality score is what they call it. And that, that squashes us in, in their algorithm. TikTok banned us at one point. Um, and, and what's, I think what's even scarier than that is, is what you see with a lot of these other companies, you know, banks, uh, PayPal, um, our email service, uh, dropped us. Um, you know, when you, when you start to get this, this polite, uh, political ideology, uh, in, in to some of these institutions, it, uh, it, it's a, it's a pretty frightening thing. And with everything going electronic, uh, with, with our money going digital, um, it does seem sometimes that we're headed, headed to this place where, um, eventually everything will be in the cloud and, and the powers that be will be able to just kind of switch you off on person you with a flip of a switch. <laughs> yeah. And, and when that happens, the Babylon Bee, we'll, we'll just print it out on paper and, and uh, staple our satire to telephone poles, the old fashioned ones. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, just the way things have gone the past few years. Um, I, I always feel like censorship is kind of a two front red flag. I mean, it shows that one, you know, some authoritarian group is trying to control speech, which is problematic, generally speaking, but it also is a red flag insofar as uh, when, when you're in a society that has no discomfort for satire, uh, when you're in a society where authority has no tolerance for yeah. satire, then it seems to be the ultimate symbol of societal decay. It's like, I think I think I've actually heard you mention this before a year ago or something on some interview. But when institutions are weak or corrupt or poorly managed or whatever, their tolerance for being made fun of kind of evaporates, right? Because they know that they're being constantly exposed, which which you know puts them in a position to be one embarrassed, two lose power, and three, uh, you know the the last option that they'll deal with is to actually fix the institution, which is apparently not you know on on the agenda either. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's like it's not just about the censorship or the lack of tolerance for satire, but it's what it represents, you know. Yeah, I mean, it it really is. It's it's kind of the classic uh, emperor has no clothes situation mm-hmm. where, you know, the Babylon Bee. Um, that's that's really all we're doing. We're we're kind of you know the immature kid in the corner who's raising his head and his hand and saying, you know, the emperor's the emperor's naked. Um, and it really is. It, you, like, there, there is a, a massive uh, and kind of broad-ranging uh, uh, decay in our institutions and, and the elites who run them. They really have failed. They've done a terrible, terrible job. Um, and uh, you know, when when your when your worldview um, and your your resume and your competence, if none of that can stand up to scrutiny or, or laughter or mockery. Uh, that I think that alone is is a, a pretty sure sign that you failed, and so, yeah, we're we're kind of at this place where um, satire has become this 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 very powerful thing, um, not just in in ridiculing you know those in power, but I I think it, it's also kind of serving to give people courage um, to say things that that you know we're told are not fit to say in in polite company. Um, and hopefully that's contagious. You know, the Babylon Bee sometimes will be the first to say something or will we'll say something that, that people are thinking but afraid to say. And I think the more people that stand up, um, you know, the, the more effective it'll be. Sure. I mean, there's, again, back to the old, uh, uh, the comment I made before about how things used to be. The mob is very powerful. It's why, you know, uh, the, the idea of parades and gladiators, for example, were simply to satiate the mob, to keep them distracted so the aristocracy could continue going about business as usual. Um, and, and, you know, you look around these days with all the stupid shit going on. It's like we, we've constructed literal cathedrals to distract ourselves from, you know, yes. the, the horrors of poor management, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, that's really what it is. 
Um, yeah. I, I think it's, <sighs> yeah. And that, that's another thing that's, that's made uh, what we do uh, important because that, with all the distractions and, and just the barrage of input that we receive uh, from the media, um, it's it's kind of become one of the most effective ways at, at communicating truth because no one's reading a, a long book anymore or a you know a twelve page think piece or um, you know going to a de, you know a debate you know hosted to, to discuss two different ideas, but sometimes just a little a quick little witty you know one two punch of a joke can cut through all that noise pretty effectively. You know the same thing with memes. Memes are doing the same thing right now. Um, and it, you know, that's, that's essentially what the Babylon Bee is. We're just glorified memes. Well, I mean, that's nothing new, right? Uh, before there's actually, there, there's, uh, uh, I think some of the literature about it still exists, but before w when, uh, Brutus and Cassius came back from, uh, Pompey's war with, uh, Julius Caesar, uh, Brutus and Cassius both rejoined the Senate and some, of the uh, some people were going around Rome painting pictures of Brutus stabbing Julius Caesar in the back, basically, right? Um, mm. To try to you know talk shit about how Brutus. Well, I mean, Brutus was a coward, let's be honest, but um, to just just try to you know rile stuff up. So using imagery like that um, is nothing new in politics, or it's mm -hmm. and it's nothing new in the in the I guess. In the, in the intersection of, of media and politics either, um, if you want to call, you know, former entertainment media like that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's, you mentioned, you know, kind of um, whether satire has traditions in, in other cultures besides the West. I think, there, I wish I could find the specific quote, but there's a, uh, there's a, an old Egyptian satirist whose name I probably can't pronounce, who said something to the effect of, you know, the importance of satire is to remind us that our leaders are not gods. Mm. You know, it kind of uh, has the effect of of um, kind of taking them down a peg or two and, and reminding everyone that, the, hey, these people are just human. They're prone to corruption and silliness and mistakes, just like anybody else. And, and you shouldn't place uh, too much faith or trust in them. You should keep an eye on them. You should be skeptical of the things that they say. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, we're, we're in a very bizarre time, I think, in, uh, in human existence. It's, I, I, I don't, yeah. I really, I sometimes, some days it's hard to kind of quantify what's really going on, you know, without sounding like Alex Jones, I guess. Um, mm. but it does seem like, you know, f for example, what, to what purpose could you ascribe, um, Justin Trudeau coming down to to meet with Gavin Newsom and doing press conferences in California about shared ideological values. What what is that about? Like it's it's the mm. a guy running a state inside of our country talking with a foreign leader about like wild progressive nonsense and how mm -hmm. we need to do some this or that. Like it's I mean it kind of seems like a violation of the Logan Act to be honest for for them to be negotiating like that. Um, but besides all that. All these, and, and I think it's the same with media as well, like or, or media or business, or I mean, we, you, you brought up PayPal. Anytime we sacrifice liberty and the ability to uh, adjudicate things as a society for convenience, it becomes problematic, right? And that's that's why globalism yeah. is so dangerous. It's not because, look, if we had an alien invasion, a global government might be necessary for some time. I guess I don't know, but that's not going to happen. So. Um, I don't, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me why anybody would promote a global society unless their intent was to control the globe. Right. I mean, that's what, yeah, that's what that is. Absolutely. So I, I think it's kind of almost been like the, the perverse dream of mankind ever since the tower of Babel. I like ever, ever since the tower of Babel failed, it's like, we've, we've, we've been trying to find a way to rebuild it. And, and I think there, there have always been these people who have come along with this, with this hubris that you know, that that makes them think they're they're smart enough that if only they could manage things, um, you know, it would be better. Um, and and yeah, it's you 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 see it with the the World Economic Forum and, and and a lot of these world leaders that the you know the digital age has has done great things in the sense that it uh, it's given a voice to people who otherwise wouldn't have a voice. It's kind of been the the new printing press, the new Gutenberg press, which has been amazing. But at the same time, it's also kind of had the effect that of, of making our world seem smaller and maybe more manageable to mm. some of these 
<laughs> these people, um, you know, to where they they really do think, you know, Bill Gates is one. I he, He's just this weird sociopath guy who, who, you know, spent his life tinkering with with, uh, you know, microchips and and somehow thinks that that he can do the same thing with with all of humanity. You know, if he can just get up and, and, and start tinkering with the dials and switches of, of the entire human race, he can he can lead us to utopia. It's it's absolute madness, you know. Um, and so, yeah, those are the people I think it most important to make fun of uh, because they're they're the absolutely the most dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I always like to ask, uh, you know, qui bono who benefits when something weird happens but when whenever somebody powerful tries to do something um whether it's you know gates who most people don't like on the right or whatever and then elon musk who most people for some reason do like on the right i guess because <laughs> yeah he's an edgelord i guess i, I really don't know to be honest I well mean, it's 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 a worthy point because um you know it, it, as much as he the things that he said about, you know, being anti-woke and free speech and all that, all, he, he's also been very, uh, he's, he's praised China and their, their efficiency and uh, their ability to get things done that we can't do in America. So like there's, there's really, there's no one person that we should ever be looking to as kind of a savior who's going to fix this stuff. It's, it's absolutely not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, but that's never been the case and I don't understand why uh, I, maybe it's like just, symbolism and idolatry that's innate in human beings is trying like one of the functions of trying to understand our place in the universe is to uh it's just so much easier to believe that something is in control and that uh you know even you you take that i understand it from the religious perspective but then you map that on to like terrestrial life and it's like some somebody's like this group is controlling this thing or this group is controlling this thing or maybe uh you know to a greater degree this group should or this person should control these things is the ultimate version of that mm-hmm. but people are fucked up man people do stupid <laughs> shit all the time and yeah like the the idea of organizing yourself around an individual or a, a group like that has always been very bizarre to me instead of you know typically like if you if you drill down on that and ask somebody like, well, why are you a Republican? They'll list off like, well, Republicans believe this, this, and this. I'm like, okay, you can just believe those things. You don't have to get involved mm-hmm. with some group because now what you would have called a Republican in 1980 is clearly not the same anymore, but you're still, right. mar- you're still married to this organization because you organized yourself, your life, your support public, publicly uh, around the group instead of the idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and that's that's what people don't realize. What makes America such a, a revolutionary, cutting edge, and still very progressive idea is that we're we're like the first, you know, society uh, or first, you know, in in the modern times to to organize ourselves not around uh, a man or uh, blood and soil, but around an idea. You know, around the logos um, and and this idea. Uh, also being subservient to to God that that even our rulers uh, had to an- had a God to answer to um, and they had a higher moral authority to answer to um, and and the fact that we're just kind of throwing that out um, you know after two thousand years of kind of crawling out of the dark ages is is remarkable to me you know we're, we're not going to start from scratch and and it, it's and have it work out well at all <laughs> sure I mean but that's that's kind of a symptom of uh uh, well, it, it's it's certainly something that Western culture has done a number of times. We we seem to have this proclivity to unsolved problems that we've solved in the past because we haven't hmm. done a very good job of reminding people in a way that is ubiquitous why we solved that problem. I think too too often we mm-hmm. attach the solution to problems to a group or a particular religion or a particular leader or something like that, and then as time goes on and people you know have uh, uh, more disparate views, I guess, on that particular leader or that particular religion or, or society or whatever it happens to be, then, you know, we, we stop believing in that solution, but that doesn't make any sense. The mm-hmm. solution was right the whole time. It doesn't matter what it was yeah. attached to. And we have a really hard problem, a really hard time, not just in the West, human beings in general have a really hard time separating ideas from people for some reason. And I don't, mm-hmm. to, to me, that's, that's what makes, uh, 
satirism so important. You know what I mean? Because it it, mm-hmm. it it divorces the person, like you said, from the idea of being God. But even in, in today's world, it divorces the person from their whatever institutional power they may seem to have, right? Like, yeah. it, it's it's just some jackass saying something. But, hey, what he said was actually really smart. Well, yeah, and, and vice versa. You know, we we – you know, we try to make sure that we're when we're mocking a bad idea, that doesn't mean we necessarily need to mock the person yeah. um, espousing that. But you know, we we still want to honor the humanity and the dignity of 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 everyone that we're we're mocking, um, because more often than not, it's about ideas. It's about good ideas and bad ideas, and bad ideas absolutely deserve to be mocked, no mm-hmm. matter who's speaking them. But that's uh, you know now if you mock a bad idea, for example, if you think it's a bad idea to send hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine, now I'm a Russian asset, right? I mean that it's <laughs> the the idea. It, it's very interesting to me that the process of of divorcing the idea from the person and then criticizing the idea is met with resistance in the form of now criticizing me as a person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that doesn't yeah. that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to be honest. Well, it's kind of like what you know. Our, our culture now is is defined by, um, you know, self identification, and and you know we, we hear that phrase a lot, like you know, living your truth. Um, you know, people people take their worldviews and their political ideologies, and they make it a part of their identity, um, and they 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 make it inseparable from who they are. To where if if you insult their ideas, you're you know, we saw it recently with, a, 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 who is it, Matt Walsh, who mm-hmm. visited a college campus or something. And, and one of the protesters there said, you know, this this person is a threat to my very being. <laughs> you know, just just the fact that he's saying these things. And it's it's uh, it is really, really amazing that we've gotten to that point where where we we are unable to separate the ideas from the people. It's we they they are now core to our very soul and, and you can't attack them anymore. That's 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 ridiculous. This episode is brought to you by BlackRifleCoffee.com. Use the code CITIZEN to get 20% off your first order. I recommend joining the Black Rifle Coffee Club, where you'll get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-operated company that supports America's military, law enforcement, and first responders. they got a mission to hire 10,000 vets. They're opening up stores all over the place, and they could use your support in doing so in, in exchange for that. You're going to get the best coffee in the world. Get premium coffee delivered every month. Choose your favorite roast, uh, whether you like light, dark, medium, whatever, right? And then they have the ECS, you know, with specialty blends as well. Choose the delivery style, right? Whether you want whole bean coffee that you can grind yourself, ground coffee, or coffee rounds that work, work with uh, Keurig. And you get to choose your delivery schedule every uh, week, every other week, every month, whatever you want, right? So members, in addition to that, get free shipping, and access to exclusive partner discounts with companies like Leopold, uh, Five Eleven, all sorts of great stuff. So get twenty percent off your first order using the code Citizen. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com today and get those deals. Next up, Ghostbed.com forward slash Drinking Bros. You know them, you love them. They've been with us forever. Right now, Ghostbed is offering a forty percent discount on Ghostbed bundles. If you buy a mattress and an adjustable base together, and then anything else you buy with that, also 40% off. So if you're looking to upgrade your bedroom or buy a new thing or you got moving into a new house, you just want to do some new stuff, take the opportunity now get 40% off all that stuff. If you're just looking to piece things together and get one or two things, you're going to get 30% off everything else if you use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. You can get a mattress for like 35 bucks a month with their zero down, 0% financing plan that now extends up to 60 months. That's five years, folks. They got the best beds, the best pillows, the best mattresses. Uh, the, the adjustable base is great. It's very functional. Um, the sheets are great. Everything is great. Love it. I take the, the pillows with me when I go on uh, trips now for work. So that should tell you how good it is because I'm actually paying to travel with my ghost pillow. Um, so go get those deals. We love these guys. Uh, been with them a long time. You know how quality they are. You can go read the reviews on the website anytime you want. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros today. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, what, what's the old phrase? Sacred cows make the best burgers, right? I mean, it's <laughs> uh, and it isn't just that. That doesn't just mean that it's the funniest, although usually it is. 
It also means that uh, the, the most value comes from attacking the most powerful institutions. Not attacking, that's not the right word, but uh, I guess uh, holding a mirror up to, you know, the most powerful institutions because it's, a, it's another thing that we seem to forget that we're all just people. Like all these groups are just people and um, as such, they're, they're as flawed as an individual person might be, right? Um, and I think there's two things going on there. One, it should make us extremely skeptical of the institution itself, not not cynical or nihilistic about it, but certainly skeptical. And then two, it should mean that if you're involved in an institution, you now have to realize that you have the most extreme responsibility to ensure the validity of that institution, right? If you really believe in it, you should be going out of your way to be as skeptical as you can about anything that might come in or out of that institution, how it's presented publicly, the messaging, all that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, and I, I do think that that's part of where the, the, um, the laughter comes from for, for what we do. Cause um, there, I think there's something uh, inherently funny about um, corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost liken it to someone who's who's very well dressed, who thinks highly of himself, uh, who's maybe wearing a nice suit, uh, walking down the street and, and slipping on a banana peel, <laughs> or or getting a pie in the face. You know, um, I think when when you can when you can remind people um, that our, these institutions, um, <laughs> you know. Are, are made up of people and people are silly and stupid and, uh, and easy to deceive. Um, you kind of, you kind of get that while, while, while mocking the bad idea, you're also re- kind of reminding people of our shared humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something actually a little bit inspiring to that. We're not trying to be divisive here. Um, I, when you laugh at a joke, when you go to a comedy club and you laugh at a, a joke that's, you know, maybe race, racial or, or a little on the edge or, you know, about abortion, mm-hmm. um, there's a there's kind of a, a a involuntary acknowledgement of of our shared experiences as human beings there, and I, I think that's pretty cool that we, we kind of have this double edged sword of, of whacking down the bad ideas, but at the same time kind of reminding us that hey we're we're all a little silly, let's let's calm down, <laughs> let's relax, let's remember who we are and and who we're not, <laughs> and uh, and and kind of laugh at laugh at life. There's a lot to laugh about. Uh sure, yeah. I mean, uh, and it's so it's become extremely problematic since the invention of media, I guess. I mean, it kind of started slow, more slowly, but in the 60s, 70s, and 80s with magazines and the way they presented women as, you know, uh, I, I, and the and maybe the invention of Photoshop had something to do with it as well. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, it, it's become problematic, this presentation of certain people as perfect. And uh, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways, one, it, it's it's it does present a false image to people that they want to emulate, you know, and and then I think it also severely damages the individual who's presented as perfect all the time. Um, Absolutely. You know, uh, it's like kind of, I, I guess in modern society, it kind of started with magazines and things like that. And then social media has made it far worse because now it's not just, you know, a couple of thousand models who were subject to this. It's literally everyone who's, uh, you know, it's no surprise that that we've now kind of found ourselves in this self identity culture because mm-hmm. you can you can literally make yourself a fucking digital baseball card and put any information on there you want to, including looking different than you really do in real life. You know, uh, it's it, that that is man that that is a very sophisticated way to uh, uh, I guess obfuscate your own internal identity. You know what I mean? Like people don't, people just, people don't know who they are anymore. I don't know that it's, I don't, I don't think most people are dishonest intentionally. I think they don't know who they are and they've been given Mm -hmm. this tool to be able to present who they are in whatever way they want. And of course they're going to take advantage of it. And they're absolutely miserable. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're absolutely miserable. We're, we're at the height of, uh, of human civilization. We've never had more convenience and comfort and pleasure and good food and, and ability to connect with others. And, and, uh, we're miserable and we're, we're committing suicide. Um, and it really is, I, I, I think you, you kind of hit it there that we have, 
lost a sense of, of what our true identity is. We're trying to kind of build these new identities from scratch. Um, and I think that's, I mean, what, what's kept me grounded in, in just, you know, as I'm a Christian, as a believer, you kind of, the same thing kind of happens when you go to church, you know, we all go, we come from different walks of life, uh, you know, different abilities, different talents. Um, we all kind of come to the same place and we kind of gather in this, like in this shared acknowledgement of our sin and our failures. Mm. And we, we, we confess, um, and we kind of reorient ourselves, uh, as human beings, you know, as, as people made in God's image to kind of re remind ourselves of what the core of our identity is. Um, and you really do need that, um, as, as a human being is that all this, all this stuff that we're doing, um, you know, the, the new moral philosophies and the, the, my truth and the, the digital identities we make for ourselves, it really has not, doesn't seem to have made any of us happy at all. Yeah. It's an interesting way to think about it. I'm not religious myself, but the idea of church is something of a shared acknowledgement of collective imperfection, I guess, uh, with yeah. also there is, whether it's religious or otherwise, if you're in a group like this, there's also, whether it's spoken aloud or not, an admission that it isn't about you. There's something bigger going on, right? Whether it's yeah. society or whatever charity group you're working with or whatever it is, right? I think... Well, I want to hear your thoughts because to me, um, Gandhi says, if you truly want to find yourself, lose yourself in the service of others, right? And uh, if you read the red text in the Bible, whether you're religious or not, you're going to find that message pretty goddamn clearly. So I wonder from your perspective, mm -hmm. what is, what, like, how do you assign your self identity? And then what do you think is the root of human identity? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> Well, I think uh, for me, I mean, I guess I can only speak personally as, as a Christian. Um, I, I go back to um, the fact that we are made in God's image and, and uh, in that we have we have free will. We have a conscience. We have this this inward compass that can kind of discern right from wrong. Um, and uh, and then we were made male and female. I mean, that goes all the way back to Genesis that we were, <laughs> there are only two types of people in the world. It's not, we're not split up into race and, and it's male and female. <laughs> and um, I think, um, I think there's a lot, um, there, there's a lot that springs from that um, and that naturally follows from that very simple truth. Um, and I think the denial of that truth can, can lead you into some pretty dark places. Mm. Um you know, as far as the male and female thing go, I, I think that there's a lot. Um, I think our culture has lost this in, with the kind of this, this self-identifying uh, culture. But I think there's a lot that comes from roles, our, our assigned roles in society, our, our roles as a man, our roles as a woman, um, you know, our role in the church. I think that that there is tremendous meaning uh, to be to be gained from from living into your role. Um, living into, you know, your sex. Um, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, it's, it's okay to, to be at peace with how God made you. Um, you know, I, and, and again, the, 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 the denial of that going all the way back to the very beginning leads to some dark things, you know, you, you know, in, in the story of Lucifer, the, you know, the, the angel who was created by God, um, he decided, no, I want to be, I want to be my own God. You know, I am not going to let my creator define who I am. I'm going to define who I am. And, uh, you know, that, that's where you get, you know, paradise lost. And, you know, it's, he decided it was better to rule in, in hell than to serve in heaven. And I, I do feel like that that's kind of the, the basic worldview dividing line, uh, across all cultures throughout the world right now. It's, it's people who, um, are submitted to what the, the, creator has made them to be and those who decide that, no, I'm going to define who I am. Um, and I, I'm going to call my own shots and I'm going to mm -hmm. be my own God. Um, so it's, it, it really, I think meaning and, and, and identity comes from, uh, submission to our creator and to truth. And that's, that's not a, like, that's not a place of slavery. I think that's a place of freedom and joy. There's, there's so much joy there. Well, there's certainly some, uh, I, I guess the ultimate form of freedom is truth, right? In my that that's that's my estimation. So, yeah. Um, one of my favorite that's books is guardrails. You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's it allows you to operate without. I mean, it's almost like um, you know. 
I guess guardrails is a good way to put it, but it's almost as if I don't have to worry about all this other stuff anymore. I mean, you, you've heard the phrase, it's, it's, it's easier to tell the truth because you don't have to remember all the lies, right? Well, you know, yeah. just in everyday life, everyday life is pretty, uh, uh, it is, it is fucked up very frequently for a lot of people. You know what I mean? Existence, yeah. existence is tough. Um, yeah. and, uh, deluding yourself is really stupid. I mean, one of the more extreme examples I think is, a uh, is appeasement. I think, uh, especially that's one that pretty much everybody can relate to, whether you work in foreign policy or, you know, interpersonal connections, your family or whatever it is. Uh, what's the old Churchill quote? Appeasement is feeding the crocodile, hoping he eats you last, right? It, like the the denial of something so fundamental as good and evil or man woman something so mm-hmm. fundamental to our existence i don't think is just a symptom of bad philosophy run amok i think it is an intentional attempt to dissolve our purpose driven identity as human beings right so that we yep. will then believe whatever we're told that is that is yep. like and and you know people say now sunlight is the best disinfectant i think that's a really good thing to say um, but truth is the ultimate retaliation to that. Just, I, I know everybody that can hear the sound of my voice right now has been in a situation, whether big or small, where somebody finally said out loud what was going on, whether it was your marriage going to shit, whether it was, uh, your business partner was doing something fucked up and you finally discovered it. And then it's all out on the table. Yeah. It sucks to go through that process, but I, 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 urge you to look back and and think about how you felt in that moment there may have been some shock or surprise there may have been some hurt but there was also a a great weight lifted off of you you know what i mean because we we like to pretend like we're stronger than we are we like to pretend like we're smarter than we are we like to pretend like we're dumber and weaker than we are as well to to get out of doing things very frequently and if you can simply face the truth then you know exactly what you need to do Right. That's that's the ultimate roadmap to life. And having the ultimate roadmap to life, in my opinion, is is the, the most free that you're ever going to be. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the truth will set you free. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's initially oftentimes very painful <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's 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 hard to hear. Um, and that's like that's the dilemma that we're in right now is that, you know, a lot of people, especially young people, are being conditioned to believe that the very thing that they need for their happiness and their freedom is is hate. Mm. You know, they're, they are told that that for, if someone comes and speaks what is the truth to you, um, th- that, that that is denying your existence and it's erasing you and, and whatever else. And that's it's the absolute opposite. You know, and, and it, you, we have we need people who who will lo- have enough love for their fellow human beings to, to be willing to speak the truth, even if it means you're going to be slandered as, as a bigot or a, a hateful person or a racist or what all the things that they say, mm-hmm. um, because especially right now, um, in today's culture, I think speaking the truth, as long as you do it kindly and, and wins, you know, winsomely speaking, the truth is one of the most loving things that you can do for another person. Um, you know, even if it's hard to hear <laughs> and oftentimes it is. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure it's also very painful for the individual, for someone to feel like there's something that they're not right. Um, I, I, I don't know what that might feel like, but I assume mm-hmm. that it sucks, right? Because identity is so important to us. I mean, you see when people lose their identity and don't have purpose, they, they slip almost inevitably and immediately into nihilism and uh, it's very difficult to recover somebody from that, to be honest, once they go down that rabbit hole. But if you dig into the issues individually, there are solutions that don't involve being on pills for the rest of your life or mutilating yourself or whatever, right? Like there, there, yeah. are, there are real solutions to this. For example, a, a 21-year-old today in America, 21-year-old male in America has... 40% less testosterone than they did in 2000 and 2002, 20 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And we wonder why there is so much depression and lack of masculine purpose and, uh, uh, a kind of a, uh, 
the, the transgenderism thing as well as, as part of it. We wonder why these things are the case. Well, there's a very simple physiological explanation for this, a very simple one, right? And I don't understand why. I mean, I, I guess I do to some degree, but I don't understand why smart people mm. buy into this shit because it's very clearly like it's it's I don't think it was done on purpose, but I do think, you know, bad actors never let a tragedy go to waste. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, it, it's um, it's to their advantage mm. uh, to, to have uh, a population that is uh, docile and, and uh, willing to conform. Um, and is going to be too afraid to question them or stand up to them. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it, it, it does seem that um, this decline, um, maybe if not done by design, it's certainly not being fought against because it, it, it does uh, serve to um, keep, keep these people, these incompetent elites in power, you know, because mm. um, they're not going to have people question them. Yeah, it's it, so that's where that's where i lean to be honest i mean it just that's that seems to be the most rational explanation for this and the per, the purpose of masculinity biologically speaking is to provide and protect right that's if if you boil it down to the lowest possible level that's really what it is so you know someone or some group taking this opportunity of decreased testosterone to eliminate masculinity or ridicule it or make it seem not necessary or make it seem toxic even, right? Uh, Makes me believe that governments and institutions are doing what they do, which is trying to, uh, you know, trying to erode your personal liberty, make you more dependent on them, and Mm -hmm. and also weaken the institutions that protect you against them, whether it be gun rights or police or military or masculinity itself. Yeah, masculinity is like uh, one of their... (laughs) One of the uh, the biggest threats to them, um, and I, I think too, th- there's this other side of it. That there's this weird kind of perverse um, worldview, and, and you you see it in radical environmentalism. You see it with some of these kind of these WF types. This idea that you know we need to stop reproducing. We need we need fewer human beings on the earth. And I I call it kind of like uh, Agent Smith environmentalism. Like if you remember the movie mm-hmm. The Matrix, when Agent Smith has Morpheus and and he's got him in the chair there. And he says, he gives that little speech where he says, human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You're a plague and we are the cure. You know, these, these people that are kind of, uh, perversely obsessed with, with, uh, with order, um, and, and have this idea that human beings are, are not the, not the crown jewel of, of creation, but a plague on creation. And so I, I think that's partially also what's driving this, this willingness to allow, you know, testosterone levels and to de- to decline because they they don't want families, they don't want uh, people having kids, they they want fewer human beings on the planet. It's a it's a real mess. Yeah, it's weird, man. I mean, it's but it's you know, it, it's not like it's a mystery what's happening. This is this is what happens with weak leadership when somebody feels like, uh, you know, the confluence of, uh, well, a lot of these people, I, I would say a great deal of them were born with the idea that they deserve power, right? Which mm-hmm. is, you know, we tried to get away from that, from the aristocracy mindset in America. It didn't last very long. Um, but, we, you know, we at least set the rules as such that it should prevent something like that. We just happen to not enforce those rules. But mm-hmm. this is classical bad leadership, whether it's in the military. I'm sure you've seen it. I sure as shit have. Uh, or yep. the business world or society in general. A good leader doesn't rob their people of power. They empower their people, right? They don't micromanage. Mm-hmm. They fucking train new leaders. That's the whole point of leadership is to train new leaders. And, uh, you know, weakness is what creates this vacuum where any power outside of itself becomes a threat. Like think of Saddam Hussein, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, his early actions in Iraq were, you know, <laughs> look, I'm not endorsing the guy. Uh, we went over there trying to to kill him and all those people, to be honest, but because he's a piece of shit. But what he did er, in the early stages of his dominance in Iraq was super smart, right? Uh, very well executed. The 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 infrastructure that he built, the schools and hospitals and stuff, and the um, uh, dividing power amongst a small group of people. Look, they were uh, uh, an extreme minority, 
the uh, the Sunnis in in Iraq, mm-hmm. an extreme minority, and they still were able to dominate that country for decades because mm-hmm. of the diffusion of power. And then, you know, once he established power and became comfortable, anybody that rose up through the ranks that got too high, including his own family members, by the way, executed. Yeah. Right? If you got too powerful in Iraq, you got executed. It's the same in North Korea. It was the same under Stalin. He had his people killed routinely. Uh, you've seen it yeah. in Russia lately. All these former friends of Putin are falling out of windows. I guess it's super clumsy over there or something. I don't know if they just build bad windows or what, but that, that is what we see in society here with the weak leadership trying to reach out and gobble up all the power. It isn't anything new and it isn't anything we don't see on a daily basis at our workplace or wherever else. Right. So we should, we should easily be able to identify that stuff. But for some reason, there's some blinders on or some filter we're looking through that prevents that. You do, you do see it every day in the corporate world. I mean, mm. it's, it's the, it's the weak and the incompetent leaders. Those are the ones that will, you know, kind of shit on their underlings or, or, uh, you know, blame things on them. Um, you know, that's kind of a, a microcosm of, of what we see at the macro level with worldwide leadership and governmental leadership. I, I think there is this, there's this thing that's kind of broken in us though, that even though we see it on a daily basis, um, in our workplaces and, you know, even families and other places in society, I think there's something in us that like really just wants to believe like that. We want to believe in somebody. We want to think that there's somebody out there that, that we can rely on that is going to always do the right thing. Um, you know, like I kind of almost like our, it, it might have something to do with our obsession with superheroes. You know, mm. we, we, we kind of have this something in us that wants to, you know, um, to look to one man um, who we can trust, who we can put a crown on their head and we can serve them and, and, uh, and, and they'll take care of us. You know, I mean, the, the right was guilty of it with Trump sometimes, you know, and, and I, I supported Trump, but I think it's just a natural human tendency. And it's, it's so funny that, that we do it again and again and again, no matter how, how many times uh, it's proven to, to always end in disaster. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting the way you the way you put that is kind of how I describe um in a way the purpose of this show. So um <clears throat> it's my it is my opinion that you can either you know make it about you and eschew any kind of responsibility and just try to get through your life and live and let live and all this stuff. And, uh, you will ultimately be the subject of morally corrupt people, or you can recognize that the natural rights, natural rights articulated in the constitution, for example, uh, come with a set of responsibilities the same way we talked about institutions earlier. They come, it, it comes with a set of responsibilities that if, a critical mass of people don't live up to those responsibilities, those natural rights wither away. You know what I mean? Yes. So my, it's the reason I call this show citizen because the definition of a citizen is a member of a state who has associated rights and responsibilities, right? That is the, that's the Merriam Webster definition. Not that they can be trusted to define things anymore either, (laughs) but uh, that's the, that's the literal definition of a citizen in a state or a country Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's got to be like well, that. Absolutely. And not just so that we can maintain a, a free society and free country, but also for our own happiness. Mm. Because I, I think we, what, our, what we've learned in recent years is that rights alone do not make us happy. Mm. Um, uh, responsibility is what gives us meaning and purpose and, and, and joy in life. I, I think Jordan Peterson is, is what made him so powerful, why he touched a nerve with so many young men. Mm. This idea that, that no, you you don't just have rights, you have responsibilities as, as a human being and as a man. And, um, we, we really do need to kind of rediscover that. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, if we're going to stay free as a country, sure. I mean, I it, we do. it seems pretty obvious, uh, I, I guess, but the most important things that you will ever do in your life are for somebody else, not for yourself. You'll never, mm-hmm. you'll never do anything truly important for yourself that doesn't, and at least in some uh, ancillary way benefit other people, right? Whether you're successful in business or, or achieve some personal goal, very rarely does that happen in a vacuum and apply only to you. You know what I mean? And, uh, I found throughout both, you know, uh, I was a VP of marketing, black rifle coffee for a long time. And the more good shit we did with our 
product, the the more good or, or, or the better the product did. I think that's almost an iron law in business, you know, especially mm-hmm. once you reach a certain level of success, the more that you give back, the better, you know what I mean? It's, and it's, yeah. it almost becomes about that at some point, like, all right, now what else can we do with this? And I guess the ultimate way to say that is, is it's not about you, man. Like you, all this, man, I, I don't get this whole self-care mental health day stuff. I mean, we used to, our, the, the thing that we used to respect most was resilience. That was the thing that no matter what culture you were in anywhere on earth, being resilient was the thing that people respected the most because I mean, just think of the stories. We don't have, we don't have documentaries or, or feel good puff pieces about celebrities who go, go their entire careers without ever getting into trouble or have an addiction. We have puff pieces about people who had rough times, went through rough times and came out the other side of it. Right. Because, yeah. cause that's, yeah. that's all of our story. And some, to some degree or another, that's our story as a human beings. So again, very simple that, and I think uh, agent Smith actually said it, we do define ourselves in a way through our struggle. He said we define it through suffering, but I don't think that's yeah. true. We define it through the tools that we create to overcome the suffering because the, the weight doesn't get lighter. We, you get stronger. That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> imagine, imagine that message going out to all, you know, kids in high school and public schools across the, if someone were to tell them, if their teacher were to tell them that it's not about you, um, how many kids are, are being told that these days? I don't know. Um, and, and the idea too, I, I, I love what you said about, you know, resilience. Um, I think we've kind of lost this idea of, uh, just like stoicism and get over it. <laughs> like, you know, like, um, I, I think that's one valuable thing I learned in the military is sometimes you just, there's, there's something that needs done. And you just got to get shit done and get over it no matter how you feel or whether, <laughs> whether or not you feel like doing something. Um, I think that's, that's a kind of a value that needs to be uh, rediscovered as well that, um, you know, it, and it does it. I, I feel like it kind of starts with that core idea of it's not about you. Mm-hmm. When you start there, um, it, it does make it easier to overcome your personal discomfort and your, you know, your fears, um, because because you do have that grander sense of, of what your life is about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's we you see it from time to time I mean, it, with, you know, little quippy statements or memes. One of my favorites is. Um, did you have a bad day or did you have a bad five minutes and then you let it ruin the rest of your day? Right. Cause that's usually that's what it is. That really is usually yeah. what it is. And it's, um, <clears throat> it's, I think people conflate it with the wrong thing. So, you, you know, you talk about maybe the labor movement, like you should just shut up and do your job. No, you should expect your employer to treat you properly. Right. But you shouldn't turn your entire identity into, uh, somebody who's crusading for your own personal rights. That that's not a good idea. Right. Because right. I mean, there's no purpose in that. You're never going to yep. feel the way you would feel again. Back to your point. It isn't just about propping up the institution. You personally will never be happy if you do that ever. There's no, that's not how right, human right. beings are built. There's a reason that we walked out of caves after a giant fucking rock hit us and decided to form communities and build walls around them and start, you know, uh, 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 families and societies and things like that. There's a reason for all this stuff. It's because that's mm-hmm. how we're wired and it's the way mm-hmm. Maybe that's maybe it wasn't the way everyone was wired, but the people who did that are the ones who survived. That should tell you something, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, everybody that's on Earth right now, their genetic ancestors were people who decided to engage in community and put other people before themselves. Literally everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there there's almost a sense too that we uh, there's this resentment uh, about there's this resentment against nature. I almost feel mm-hmm. like that that you know. Here's the way things are. Here are the way. Here are the way things work best. This is the way humanity was designed to work. Um, but there's this kind of almost rebellion against that. It's like, okay, well, that's fine and, and that's well and good. But um, I am going to rise above that, <laughs> you know, and uh, identify as something else or claim a different truth, um, as if that will lead to your own happiness. It's, it goes back to that old, you know, I'm going to be my own god type thing. Um, I'm not going to let God, or if you don't believe in God, nature, you know, <laughs> define 
uh, who, who I am or, or what my role is or, or how things are supposed to work. I'm going to just kind of let my inner feelings mm. define that for, for me. And, uh, it, it's not working. It's not working. I, I hope we, I hope we figure that out mm. <laughs> I mean, rather than later. It's, I, I believe the Bible mentioned this is too, but that's like building a house on quicksand. That doesn't make any sense, yes. man. I mean, your, your mood, just think about how many times your mood changes in one day and then map that out over the 70 or 75 years that you're going to be alive. And if that is where you plant your flag, you might be fucked. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean that, that's just not a good idea. You wouldn't, uh, like if you're shooting a rifle, there are certain uh, mechanics that you set up, right. The way you hold your rifle, the way yeah. you, uh, your cheek stock weld, things like that, your eye relief and things. So it just feels natural to you. Right. Or if you're mm -hmm. playing a guitar, Muscle bone support, yeah. Bone support. If you, if you're playing a guitar, you put your pinky on the pick guard somewhere. So you know where the position is all the time because that point never moves. That's the whole point. Right. So if you're finding, if you're going back to fundamentals, you should try to find something that doesn't move or moves less than everything else around it. And, mm -hmm. uh, the resentment against nature thing is really stupid. I mean, yeah, it's like, that's the, <laughs> that might be the best example that exists of the truth will set you free. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. if you, if you're pretending like things aren't the way they are, I think Car Carl Sagan said for me, it's far better to grasp the universe as it really is than persistent delusion, however satisfying or reassuring. Right. That's good. Yeah. That's so really good. It's like you, you can go through your whole life pretending and you're going to be miserable for your entire life. And that's, uh, well, that's part of why uh, at the Babylon Bee, we kind of fight so hard against this emergent gender ideology mm. that's coming out. You know, that, that this idea that your inner feelings uh, determine your gender, um, knowing that feelings change, uh, not just day to day, but sometimes hour to hour. But then we're, we're causing permanent changes to children's bodies. Um, based off of a subjective feeling that might change in a year or two. Um, it's just, it's absolutely barbaric. And so we, you, you, that's where you'll you see a lot of uh, those, those transgender jokes from the Babylon Bee. And we're not going to, that's what got us kicked off of, mm -hmm. uh, off of Twitter. Um, and uh, we're, we're not going to stop doing it. I think, I feel like it's one of the defining fights of our culture right now is, is just the, the basic facts of reality. Are we going to submit to them and, and live in them? Or are we going to try to defy them to our own, our own uh, destruction? Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and you can always, all you have to do is wait and the absurdity comes back around. So for example, um, the updated guidelines on selective service, the draft in the United States. Um, if you're a biological male and transition to female, I think this just came out yesterday. If you're a biological male and transition to female, you still have to register for selective service. You can still be drafted. Right? Wow. So I guess they do know what a man is. A man is somebody who can get drafted. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny too. I, I think there's almost a similar uh, example from the WNBA where um, a, a woman uh, who played for the U.S. team uh, started identifying as a man um, and they let her continue to play mm. in the WNBA. They didn't kick her out to the, the sure. NBA where she, she never would have made it there anyway. But there, we know, I mean, we know what the truth is. We're just, we, we kind of got this, this mass agreement to, to deny it. Yeah, this is <laughs> it's, like, it's this is way worse than the emperor has no clothes, man. I mean, I've never seen more like literal doctors and statesmen have to stand up on stage and pretend like they don't know what men and women are. It is the dumbest. This is without a doubt the dumbest point in all of human history. I can't think of any other time that even comes close to what we're doing right now. Yeah, well, uh, on the upside, it's great for Babylon Bee's business. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you guys are doing well. Uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, I, w I wonder from uh, your perspective, because uh, I, I really do like to talk about you know, solutions to problems like this. Um, what, from your perspective, how, do, how does this ship get turned around? I mean, I know you guys are doing your part by exposing things, but just on a, at a higher level, what do you think? Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think the way it gets turned around uh, is not anything glamorous or sexy or, or uh, revolutionary. I think, um, I think the way it gets turned around is, is from the ground up uh, at the family. Um, I, I think... Um, it, it, I think it was GK Chesterton who said the most extraordinary thing in all the world is a simple man with his simple wife and his simple kids, mm -hmm. you know, that, 
that uh, the idea of, of the family uh, as being the, um, the foundation um, of, of culture and society, um, I think the way, we, the way we turn this around is, is really just by men being good men, marrying women, <laughs> having kids, staying married to, to their wives, raising their kids well, teaching them the truth, um, it's a long game. I mean, the left has always been really good at playing the long game. They, mm-hmm. they have these 100, 200 year plans for how they you know, infect our institutions. We need to play the long game as well. And I think it's done through the family by simply raising good kids, teaching them the truth, teaching them how to use critical thinking, teaching them to have courage and integrity. Because, I mean, if you don't have courage and integrity, knowing the truth will do you no good because mm-hmm. you're just going to fold when it gets hard. Um and, and getting them ready to face this kind of this post-truth world we live in, and I think if enough people do that, um, this will this will turn it this will turn around. Um, but it, you know, it's it's kind of it doesn't look like uh, an immediate uh, you know instant gratification type solution. It's it's a long game, and I think we definitely have to play it. Sure, yeah, I've, my buddy uh, <clears throat> my buddy Mike is a former SF doctor. Well, he's a former SF medic who became a doctor, and he likes to say, if if given the choice between hard work to achieve a physiological outcome and taking a pill, most people will choose the pill, even if it costs them something. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, and that is a uh, a maladaptive trait, in my opinion. the The idea that something mm-hmm. needs to be now is a maladaptive trait for humanity, because think about what it's cost us. You know, making things, <clears throat> making I mean, all the way down to the product level, but making institutions more uh, convenient for ourselves has given companies like PayPal and Amazon so much power yeah. over our daily lives. Um, but then, you know, even instead of dealing with our, uh, uh, our our psychological, emotional, societal issues, creating pills to handle them has made depression and suicide worse. Um, mm-hmm. Every every time, I, it reminds me of a a, a Captain America quote. Uh, actually from, from one of the movies, like every time somebody tries to start a war before it starts or stop a war before it starts, bad things happen and people die. Right. Mm. Uh, and I, like we just, there has to be some level of tolerance for the process of being a human. Yeah, being. And I, and I also think that's one important function of having kids is that it does change your mindset to, to a more long-term mindset. You know, when you have kids, um, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier, it's no longer about you. Um, You're not just thinking about your week and how you can make the next year better. You're thinking about how you can make things better for your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids. And it, um, it does have this naturally occurring um, change mindset change when you have kids. And I think that, you know, (laughs) If if more people had kids, we'd <laughs> I think that would solve a lot of problems. I have five kids, so mm. I'm just you know I'm just an evangelist for <laughs> for big families, I guess. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, it, it used to it, it certainly used to be that way. That was kind of the like I I get it over the last well I guess since the the '60s, the focus for young people has changed from uh, I need to be on schedule. I need to be married by this age. I need to have my job by this age. I need to buy my starter home by this age. I need to have the kids by this age. I get it that uh, Mm -hmm. not, I I understand that there are extenuating circumstances that don't always allow for that. And then also, you know, people, you know, good, good for them, I guess, but they have this rebellious nature about them. Um, They, it's my theory is that people feel, how oppressive things have become and their solution to that is to rebel inside of their own lives instead of to actually take responsibility right and understand mm-hmm. that that yeah. building better foundations is a is a is a much more successful and efficient way to fight off oppression than simply throwing a fucking tantrum with your entire life which is effectively what people are doing yeah yeah it's, it's almost kind of a in in the right uh, on the right too, you see kind of that nihilism creep mm. in where it's like, well, you know, everything's corrupt. Everything's going to shit. What's the point? Mm. Let's just throw a wrench. Let's just blow everything up at this point, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's definitely an easier um, and more natural 
reaction to the to all this thing and i think it's something that every every person kind of has to guard against sure yeah but that's um, that's it, the behavior of a toddler you know what i mean yeah like we we try yeah. we we come up with all these silly ideas to explain our behavior away and pretend like they're noble or something like I, i'm just taking control of my own life like no you're not you're a coward you're just you're acting like a little child right now you know mm -hmm. what i mean like it's very obvious what does and doesn't work you don't mm -hmm. agreeing with it is irrelevant you know what I mean? Like, it, do, do me a favor and disagree with gravity. Go perform some tests and then let me know how it works out for you. Because I promise you it's not going to work out well. Uh, right. it's, it's stupid. Anyways, uh, I really appreciate your time today. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for having me. Really yeah, man. And you've got, a, you've got a new uh, book coming out, right? Or it's already out? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's out now. Yeah, it's uh, The Babylon Beat Guide to Democracy, um, which is kind of a little play on the we hear it all the time. We must defend our sacred, holy democracy, for, you know, um, and it's 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 a bit of a it's it's equal parts entertainment and a little bit of, you know, information about, yeah. you know, what what our system truly is. We're not a democracy and, right. and why we're not a democracy. And and uh, I, it's, it's a really fun book. There's a picture on every page. It's a great toilet reader. Um, so, yeah, definitely pick pick one up. It's 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 worth a read. And where's the best place to get that? Just Amazon or wherever? Or is it? Yep. Amazon, wherever books are sold. It's, okay, a, cool. it's everywhere. And, and we also have it on our website. If you go to babylonb.com, you can go buy, buy it there. Sweet. Well, I, again, uh, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah. it. And thank you guys for uh, watching. This has been Citizen. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.